This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. It is increasingly looking like COVID restrictions at the border will be lifted at the end of the month. Now, this has been widely reported, uh, widely leaked is probably a better way of putting it. However, the government has pushed back a bit, saying no final decision has been taken and such a move would have to be approved by cabinet which it would. Border mayors and most everyone in the travel industry has been calling for this for months, and they are insisting that especially the ArriveCan app is holding them back because that requirement is holding tourists back. And above all of that is the question of whether this is the right time to do this from the vantage point of the science Today is the last day of summer. Will there be a new wave of COVID in the fall? Coming soon. Uh, I'd like your input, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And now I am joined by Dr. Alon Vaisman, Infectious Diseases and Infection Control Physician at the University Health Network, and Jim Diodati, Mayor of Niagara Falls. Welcome to you both. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Uh, let us begin with Mayor Diodati. So first of all, we've had a, a slightly confusing back and forth on the matter of whether these restrictions will be lifted. Uh, do you have uh, better information than we do? No, I wish I did, Libby. I don't have any better, but it's been consistent. And I'm pretty certain that the federal government put out a test balloon to see how the public reaction would be. And I think it's been pretty overwhelmingly in support of removing the uh, the arrive can app at the borders. Um, okay, uh, well, the, in support, but uh, but you haven't had any kind of confirmation that this is in fact what's going to happen. Nothing beyond what I've heard from the media. Okay, well, uh, what we have been reporting, according to sources, is that the arrive can app will become optional. Something I find kind of interesting, and uh, that the vaccine mandates are going. And Dr. Vaisman, uh, are we jumping the gun too soon or are we ready for this? Well, when it comes to borders, specifically with mandating vaccination, I think it does make sense to remove that restriction. And the reason is that the vaccine's ability to prevent infection in this context isn't what it used to be. The main important reason why we should be vaccinating is in order to prevent severe outcomes, including death and hospitalization. Certainly, the vaccine also prevents transmission, but unfortunately, for not, not as well as it used to. So when you think about the scale of the border and the number of people crossing, uh, mandating vaccination in that context doesn't make much sense uh, now as it did in the past, in the, in the, in the, now that we have Omicron here for the last few months. And uh, are you expecting another big wave in the fall? There's certainly a very good likelihood that there will be another wave, as we've seen many times before, as we've seen with flu every single fall to winter season. So, you know, from December, January and February, the question is how severe that wave will be. And with each progressive wave we've seen here in Ontario, especially the last two, despite there being no specific public health measures, uh, the mortality rate continued to drop in both those waves. So the volume certainly can be higher, but uh, we're hopeful that the mortality rate will continue to be low and possibly continue to drop. Mayor Diodetti, I mean, one of the things I wonder about is uh, the other side of the border. The Americans still require a vaccination, a proof of vaccination. So what's the point of us getting rid of it? Well, the way we see it, 90% of eligible Canadians have already received ours. So I don't think it's going to impact Canadians. I think we're just ready to have the border open and free-flowing as it once was. And the, the, my bigger concern, Libby, is the negative residual effect of 
all the border problems and congestion that we've had because the app's been glitchy and and the stories have been overwhelming of the challenges that we've received. So um, we're ready. I can tell you, I speak with mayors right across the country on both sides of the border, congressmen, senators, MPs, and MPPs. There's a very strong feeling that this is long overdue. It's a good news, bad news story. The good news it's finally about to happen, according to sources. The bad news is we missed another tourism season, and that's the frustration. After two devastating years of COVID, this past season was another one that we were uh, you know, going through with our hands tied behind our back, and a little bit frustrating. Well, I mean, what was the issue? I have to say I've used Arrive Can on, I don't know, three or four occasions, and it, it, it was maybe a little glitchy at first, but the, you know, the last a couple of times it was a piece of cake well i can give you so many anecdotal examples in in canada the vast majority of people that cross into this country do so at land border crossings we call it the rubber tire market and let's say a family wakes up it's they're in cleveland uh, they're having breakfast it's a nice day the weather's good they jump in the van with their passports they don't know about arrive can they get to the border they don't have roaming. They don't have access to Wi-Fi. They don't have the app. They don't remember which vaccines they received on what dates. They're asked for information. They don't have, like, where they're going to quarantine when they come into Canada because they're leaving that same day. It creates a, a bunch of challenges and problems. And, you know, when you have a good experience, you tell someone. When you have a bad experience, you tell 10 people. And that was a classic example of the kind of problems that we dealt with at the border, created backlogs, and the, the net outcome was 50% reduction in, in visitation from Americans. So it's been devastating. And that's a classic example of what was happening all summer long. Well, that, that was my, going to be my next question. Have you quantified it? So 50%, uh, do you have a dollar figure for what your area may have lost? It's over a billion dollars. Over a billion dollars. That's a lot of money. Dr. Vaseman, uh, I want to know what, um, what kind of preparations, uh, is the healthcare system having for the next wave? So it looks like, as you said, uh, the vaccines at this point are not protecting us from infection. We're, we're getting some new vaccines that are, um, that, that, that are targeted to Omicron. Do you expect that they will prevent actual infection? Yes. So certainly the vaccines do prevent infection, but not as well as they used to. And for a shorter period of time compared to the prior vaccines, compared to prior variants. So uh, the the things that we're doing to preparing for the upcoming fall is certainly the vaccination campaign. Here in the hospitals and out in the community, uh, there are many uh, campaigns going on to try to uh, proactively consent patients to get vaccinated, educate patients. The problem is that there's a little bit of confusion about, as you mentioned, the bivalent versus the previous vaccine and how we're going to manage that. But essentially, the message should be for all Canadians that every individual should get at least a booster between now and approximately December uh, for COVID-19. And also, importantly, not to forget that influenza is likely to have higher numbers between now and then, or between now compared to previous seasons. And we know this based on the numbers in Australia, where they saw essentially an average flu season when you look at the pre-pandemic phase. So everyone in Canada really should be receiving, a, most likely everyone, especially the higher risk every individuals, receiving a booster, but also a, uh, a flu vaccine. And so that's one of the main things that we're doing to prepare for this upcoming season. Um, so let me just go through this. Uh, the vaccines that are available now for boosters are not the ones that target Omicron, correct? So the bivalent, uh, which arrived in, in Ontario this month and in September, is the one that's going to be rapidly rolled out to individuals. So very soon over the next few weeks, the bivalent, which is currently available to a smaller subset but will be soon available to a broader group of people, will be available broadly. So there isn't a specific rush to get the, the bivalent right now, but it's certainly at some point in October, November, December, in preparation of the upcoming COVID wave, the bivalent will be more available, and that will be the one that is uh, targeted towards the first Omicron variant, which was the BA1. So this will be available, and as I mentioned, for the majority of Canadians, it makes sense to get a boost in this period. Okay, so w w what do you say to people who say, I'm holding out for that one, I'm not going to get the vaccine that's available now, even though I can get it? 
I think the main thing is to try to get a booster at least sometime before the winter season begins, because going back to our early discussion about how the vaccine protects you against infection, it's most efficacious within the first three months when it comes to protecting against any kind of infection. So if we want a large scale or large number of people in Canada to be protected against infection, the timing is critical, and the optimal timing is somewhere over that period. So when the bivalent becomes more readily available in general in November, December, certainly that's reasonable. If people want to get the dose at that time, I think that's totally reasonable, partly because we're not experiencing a significant wave at this moment, so there isn't the rush at this moment. And this is even more important for people who are older than 65 and people who have immunocompromising conditions. Certainly, we want to encourage those people to get the boost uh, during this time as well. Okay, well, those that's a lot of people in our audience. And uh, the other question is, a lot of those people already have had four shots, so should they get be getting a boost with a fifth? That's an excellent question. Unfortunately, we don't have much at all in terms of data to tell us about what the value of fifth dose is. In theory, we would believe that a fifth dose does have some additional value in terms of preventing infection. But going back to the other main benefit, which is preventing death and hospitalization, we really don't know to what degree there's an incremental benefit of a fifth versus a fourth dose. Presumably there is some, but we know that even with three and four doses, there is a high degree of protection for individuals greater than 65 against death and hospitalization. So the NACI recommendations, uh, they, they kind of generally speak about this, but in general, there would be a recommendation for those individuals to receive potentially a fifth dose in that time period. But perhaps we're going to get more clarification from NASI over the course of the next few months as this develops. Mayor Diodetti, uh, what do you see in your area? Are people sort of completely back to normal? Are people masking still or in, in certain situations? Uh, what's the general drift? I think the general... I think, Libby, the general drift is that people feel that the worst is behind us. They're grateful to continue to live life as we once did. Uh, they've done the right thing. They've got their vaccines and their boosters. And, and I think the residual benefit from all of this is that, you know, if you're sick, don't go to work. Stay home. Get better. Wear your mask. And I think that before it was a badge of honor if somebody was sick and they still went to work. And now we realize that's actually not a good idea. I think that's the good thing. And I can tell you, I've taken the train to Ottawa. I've flown to Vancouver. I've, I've done a fair bit of traveling. And it's nice to see that people are very comfortable living with this. They understand what they need to do so that we can be as safe as we can be. And, and the nice thing is domestic tourism has returned to pre-pandemic levels. So people here in Canada are flocking back because, you know, they've been deprived for a couple of years. They're looking forward to having fun. And uh, I'm grateful that they're coming to Niagara Falls once again. Mm-hmm. There are, uh, the, and there are some new attractions in Niagara Falls. I was in Niagara Falls. Fabulous. Um, so, uh, what do you expect, uh, assuming that all these restrictions do come off September 30th? Is there a, uh, Thanksgiving and Halloween surge? <laughs> so the, the shoulder season is becoming more important than it's ever been. I can tell you the travel and trade and convention business is busy again. And typically, those big conventions book several years out. And we've got some very large conventions in town right now, which is great. The other thing that's very big in Niagara Falls is the Winter Festival of Lights, which kicks off in November. And we'll get over a million people out to that festival. We've got three million lights, and it's spectacular when the mist freezes. And it looks like a crystal winter wonderland with a dusting of snow. So we definitely have some big things to look forward to. And the other thing that I'm pressing our federal and provincial tourism ministers is to have a grand reopening of Canada. And I said, why don't we get a massive ribbon? We'll invite the prime minister and the premiers together and cut it. And behind that, put a, a big campaign, marketing campaign, to let the international traveler know that we're once again open for business. We're rolling out the red carpet, and we're looking forward to their visits because I know Americans love Canadians. They love Canada, and let's give them a good excuse to come back. Okay. Um, Dr. Vaseman, what is your message to people beyond uh, get your booster if you haven't had it? I think, uh, as the mayor very uh, accurately stated, is that we're looking towards a future where COVID becomes, unfortunately, part of the milieu of viruses that we're facing. So 
the advice that has been present for all these years but is that much more important now is for people to uh, make sure that if they're sick, not to come to work, don't go out in public, follow the public health recommendations. Masking is still probably going to be beneficial for the near future. So continue masking in public, especially in places where there's uh, little distancing opportunity. And uh, to be very mindful of these things over the next few months because with flu going to be part of the picture even more than it was in the previous COVID uh, waves in the winter, it's going to be that much more important for people to adhere to these things. But I think a very important message to the public is that there is a lot of reassuring data, especially here in Ontario and in Canada, showing that the COVID mortality is dropping and that we're doing well in terms of the fight against the pandemic. It's just that we need to maintain some degree of vigilance for the next few months. Mayor Jim Diodati, I'm going to give the last word to you. Well, Libby, I would say this. Um, Niagara Falls, obviously, tourism is important. You made mention of our newest attraction, and, and I invite all your listeners to check it out. It's the Niagara Parks Power Station. It is spectacular. It's a 117-year-old power plant where you can follow the path of the water, where hydroelectricity was harnessed uh, back in the day when Nikola Tesla was here, and it is such an outstanding attraction. And ask everybody, come on out, see the Festival of Lights, take in all the foliage of the fall as the colors of the leaves go orange and green and yellow and red, and, and visit us once again because we've been waiting. We're grateful that you're visiting, and we promise you we're going to show you a good time. And, and I can vouch for that. I visited the power station this summer with my husband. We had a great tour of it. I did a big piece on it, and it's fabulous. So there you go. Thank, thank An you. endorsement. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Okay, thank you so much, Mayor Jim Diodati and Dr. Alon Vaisman. Thanks a lot. Thank Bye. You. Thank you. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, you know, one of the first orders of business yesterday in Ottawa was this new dental plan for kids under 12 whose families qualify. Uh, well, uh, the way those families are getting the money, well, you know, they're just going to get a cash. And some people think, hmm, maybe that's not the best way to hand out money that's supposed to go for dental work. But we'll get to all of that on the other side of the break. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. In Ottawa, just about the first order of business in the new session was bringing in the new dental plan for children under 12 whose families qualify, and that is those with a household income under $90,000. And they'll get up to 650 bucks per child. They'll need to provide the CRA, Canada Revenue Agency, with the name and address of their licensed dental care practitioner and the month of the planned appointment. They'll also have to attest that their child doesn't have private dental insurance and that they will keep their receipts. But once they do that, the money goes into their bank account. And it's just the first tranche of what is envisioned as a broader plan. But there are people who are not necessarily opposed to giving people a dental plan, but think that this mode of distributing the money makes it very much open to abuse. And we'll get to this, but apparently federal officials that say they're not going to go after people who perhaps don't spend all that money on dental work. So what do you think? The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll free 1-866-740-4740. And let's go to Franco Terrazano, the federal director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Hi, Franco. Hey, thanks for having me on. Okay, so yesterday there was a briefing in Ottawa and officials said, you know what, we're, we're not going to go over, uh, uh, go after people who maybe didn't spend all this money on dental work unless we're, we're really sure they abused it. Yeah, well, I guess we'll have to see because, you know, you said the most important word right off the top and it starts with an A, it's a test. And, you know, that's similar to how the CERB worked where you would have to attest to the CRA that you met all these requirements and then they would send you the money. But then after, they would check if you're eligible, right? So look, be careful because we're seeing stories now where there's letters being sent out to about 100,000 Canadians 
saying that they owe money. And some Canadians are owing about $2,000 to pay back in CERB. And, you know, I can only imagine uh, some people who may be having a difficult time uh, to be able to afford maybe diapers or formula now having to pay $2,000 back to the government. So be very careful here because there could be the same issues uh, that is happening with CERB. But look, the second more broader issue here is that I don't think this is really going to help stem inflation. If you send everyone a check that can essentially only be used for dental services, well, then the cost of dental services are going to go up, right? Let me give you another analogy. If you were to send everyone a check and essentially say you can only use it to buy apples, well, it's pretty easy to see how the price of apples are going to go up. So I don't think this is a very serious plan to stem the inflation, which has reached near four decades high. Uh, well, I think the point of this one is to help people who are suffering because of inflation and can't afford dental work. And, um, you know, frankly, from, from what I've seen, I've, uh, since my longstanding dentist retired for health reasons very abruptly, I've kind of been bouncing around a bit. And I don't know that the actual prices of dental work will go up, but there's a lot of upselling around. Um, well, you know, there's been a lot of upselling around from this government for many different programs. This isn't the first one. Uh, we This reminds me of, of, well, when they announced $30 billion over five years for the child care program, right? But we, what we've seen from this government is essentially um, the same thing that I see from salesmen who, who essentially say, hey, don't worry, we're going to make this easy for you. Just put it on the credit card, no money down. Don't worry about it. It's all good. You know, we're going to pay for it. Now, I don't blame the people who are struggling right now and who want uh, help with their dental bills. But the problem is, is that I blame the salesmen. I blame the politicians who keep racking it up on the credit card. Because, look, I have seen many press conferences from this government, and not one have I seen where they've been honest with Canadians and talking about the true bill. Because how are they going to pay for this? We saw a $300 billion deficit in 2020, a $100 billion deficit in 2021, a $50 billion deficit this year. Uh, so how are they going to pay for this? And if anyone tells you that, well, they're just going to raise taxes on the rich, well, that's not going to pay for this. I mean, we saw a luxury tax, but Trudeau's deficit spending burns through that in a day. Um, even the highest estimates of a wealth tax, well, Trudeau's deficit spending burns through that in about three months. Let's so get if back. Going to continue to bring in these high cost programs. It's going to be everyday Canadians left with a bag. Let's get back to the issue of this uh, dental program. So uh, you're 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 uh, telling people to be careful, but do you think be that careful. people people will be tempted because it looks like if you really uh, lie about. Uh, an aspect of this, you're going to be in trouble. But if you get $650 and you spend it on something other than your kid's dental work, uh, then then that's cool. Is that... Well, you know, we'll, we'll have to see. I mean, whenever you have governments essentially trying to get the money out the door quickly, um, like what we saw with CERB, I mean, who, who really knows what's going to happen? Um, look, I, I tend to think that most Canadians want to play by the rules and don't want to take advantage of the system. Sure, there's always some Canadians or always some people who are going to, and, and the government should go after them for sure. But even with CERB, I think most Canadians probably wanted to do the right thing. But we've, we just saw, I mean, I read a Toronto Star article, I think, from yesterday that shows that there's 100,000 notices going out to Canadians saying, hey, you owe us the money back. So I'm just saying, I'm just telling people, be careful. Uh, let's take a quick call from Sean in Burlington. Hi, Sean. Hi, Libby. How are you today? Fine. Go ahead. You're on the air. I agree. I mean, it seems like they're going at it very fast. I, I like to see people get coverage, but the speed is concerning. And the other question is, what are private insurance companies going to do now? Are they going to say, well, you're covered by the government, so we no longer are going to cover your kids? and still reap the benefits of private insurance. Well, 
Uh, it's, uh, it's, there's an income threshold. I mean, there are also some people who say, if your family makes 90K, then maybe you don't need the government to pay for your dental bills. But it's, uh, it, there is an income threshold for this. And presumably the number kind of, uh, decreases usually, uh, as you go up the higher income, uh, scale. It's apparently targeted to people. The, the sweet spot on this are people who, who make a lot less than 90. But, uh, sure. yeah, and it's, it's the Canada Revenue Agency because the Canada Revenue Agency is the only agency that can get things done, apparently. <laughs> so. well, I, I hope it works out and I hope people are, are better off and served. I do worry about the speed and the efficiency. And if I was hungry and I had to choose between food for my family and dental care, with that money, I would take the food, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and later in the show, stay tuned. Food inflation is a big problem. Sean, thanks very much for thank your you. call. And uh, Franco Terrazano, thank you very much for that. Well, thank you so much for having me on today. Okay. And now we are going to bring in Jagmeet Singh, the leader of the NDP. Hello. Hi there. Great thank, to be on your show. Thank you for joining us. So uh, the dental plan was just about the first order of business. And of course, we have a dental plan because you made it a condition of uh, the agreement. Uh, the The liberals didn't give you a huge amount of credit for it. You know, the, the facts speak for themselves. Just a year ago, the liberal government voted against our plan to bring in dental care. They also, uh, we also campaigned on it in 2019. And in 2021. So we have two campaigns in a row where we campaigned on it. The Liberals voted against it a year ago, and now it's happening because of us. And we're going to let sure, make sure Canadians know that we've been fighting for them. But we also went beyond that and were able to put more money back in people's pockets, more of their own money with the GST rebate that's going to help millions of Canadians with uh, some respect and dignity to be able to afford their groceries. And and then finally, we're getting a rental support for those that are feeling squeezed with the higher cost of rent. We're giving them some more respect as well with uh, uh, financial support. Uh, getting back to the dental plan, there's been criticism, not so much for the plan itself necessarily, but for the way the cash is being given out that um, some people think there aren't enough safeguards that it's actually going to be used for the purpose. I trust Canadians to do what's right for their families and for their kids. There is uh, an attestation and there's different uh, steps in place, but I, I trust Canadians. And I think that's how we have to operate when we bring in these programs. And this is just a starting point. Next year in the second phase, it's going to be a fully administered federal program that's going to include children 18 and older, seniors, and people living with disabilities. And based on what we've seen with early numbers, this will probably cover nearly every uh, senior in the country based on the income requirement. So many, many people are going to get the coverage. Now, I was very interested. This was obviously one of the first things on the agenda. You're just back to another session. Uh, and, you know, we, we're already seeing sparring uh there was a focus on sparring between the new conservative leader, Pierre Poilievre, and the prime minister, uh, and you're out with an attack ad against him. Why now? We wanted folks to know where uh, part Pierre Poilievre stands on things, you know, not just his past record voting against uh, increasing minimum wage and supporting workers, but even right now, we've, 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 Right now, the legislative agenda in this country is set by New Democrats. We have pushed the three bills that are presented yesterday were because of us. And one of those is that GSD rebate, putting more money back in, more money, more of people's money back in their pockets. That is something that people think will make a lot of sense for them. It'll help them out. It'll give them respect. Yeah, Pierre but why? has come out against that. Yep. And the only other people that are against that are the big banks. So again, he's taking the side of big banks against working people, against people that need uh, that respect to be able to afford their groceries. So we want people to know uh, who he is. And we also want folks to know that when we first talked about the cost of living, the Liberals' only response was, it's not our fault and it's worse in other countries. We're the ones that are actually getting help to people, getting respect to people. But again, why go after Poilievre when uh, you're, you've been guaranteeing that there's no election uh, f till 2025? 
we want Canadians to know where where he stands, and we don't want him to let him off with a with a free ride, claiming that he is against the gatekeepers in Ottawa. When he was a minister, he was in the Harper government, the Harper government that increased the age that it is for people to retire, and people should know that. And so we want to make sure people know when he says things or when he opposes things where he's coming from. And I think it's important to set that up right out the gates. Are you worried that uh, he could be eating some of your lunch? He apparently appeals to uh, a younger demographic, which uh, you really appeal to. And here in Ontario, uh, the Conservatives uh, have made inroads with some of the union constituencies that are traditionally pro-NDP. Is, is that behind it? We're not worried, but we certainly want people to know his track record. And, and we want people to know that if he claims to be someone that's for um, to, to tap into the anger of people, well, uh, we're putting forward dental care. That's something that he's been receiving for free, paid for by the public since his mid-20s. And he's opposed to and voting against people that don't have dental care, like seniors in this country. Uh, he doesn't think they deserve it. I think that's uh, hypocritical, and people should know that. And they should know that. On day one, when we're starting Parliament, people should know where he stands on things. And we want Canadians to know that Liberals wouldn't have done this. They weren't going to do this and just waiting for it the right time. We forced it to happen. And we know that Canadians need a, a lot of respect and a lot of dignity and should be able to live their lives with with uh, not having to worry about how they can afford their groceries or get their teeth looked after. And we're actually delivering on ways to make that happen. But again, uh, he has eclipsed everybody on social media and uh, really seems to resonate again with younger demos that aren't traditional, traditional supporters of, of conservatives and, and a whole bunch of people that maybe were focused on you beforehand. So, you know, what's your reaction to that? Well, we've got two, I mean, polls go up and down, but two of the latest polls have come out since he's become leader. Both of them show that the conservatives are down and we're up, and it shows, in fact, that we're actually uh, gaining traction and gaining momentum. But again, those polls can change day by day. But I think what Canadians have seen is that uh, Polyev uh, maybe uh, doesn't uh, taps into people's anger, but certainly doesn't do anything about it. And we're the ones that are actually doing something to make sure seniors get dental care, to make sure that people get more money in their pockets. Uh, to make sure that people are able to deal with the cost of living going up in a real tangible way. And he seems to be only interested in flaming anger and division, but hasn't really proposed any concrete solutions that's going to make people's lives better today. We're actually doing that right now in Parliament. The three major bills that have been presented are on dental, that's us, rental, that's us, and GST rebate, which is us. We're the ones that are actually delivering for Canadians while the Liberals were not willing to talk about it, saying it's not their fault and it's worse in other countries. And while Pierre Polyev is more interested in flaming anger, not proposing any solutions. And do you see that as the totality of, of his appeal? I mean, do you think, uh, w- when you think about it, like, what is behind this? Because, I mean, you have to be uh, impressed with the kind of crowds he gets and all of that. Is it just is it just the anger piece, you think? Or is there something else that says something about where our country is at? I think he certainly has appealed to people's anger mm-hmm. and frustration, but hasn't really done much else with it. Um, there's no real solutions. One of his solutions to inflation, which he proudly yeah. put out in the video, was that people could opt out magically of inflation by buying cryptocurrency. You'll recall the video he put out. And right after he put that video, cryptocurrency has now crashed and people have lost their entire life savings. So uh, as a leader of a party that's supposed to be the, the party that knows how to deal with the economy, his economic policy to opt out of inflation was a complete failure. So he's showing with real concrete examples how he is not actually on the side of people and not proposing real solutions to make people's lives better. And what he has proposed so far are fanciful ideas like investing in cryptocurrency. And uh, it has crashed and people have lost their life savings. So he's not someone that can be trusted on the economy, uh, nor is he someone that can actually deliver what people need. He's certainly good at inflaming anger, but that's it. So 
Would you say that going forward, is he your main threat? As usually people talk about, you know, splitting votes on the left or leftish, and liberals tend to attack uh, left. But is this time, is he going to be the, the, the main stumbling block for you? Well, what makes us different is, you know, our attacks or our critiques are with the goal of making sure people get some benefit or we benefit people with better policies. And I feel like that's going to be the real distinguishing point. When you hear Polyev or Justin Trudeau, when they attack, they seem to be attacking just for the sake of it. Oh, liberals hate conservatives just because they're conservatives. Conservatives hate liberals because they're liberal. We're actually pointing out problems with the decisions that he's making or policies he's making because they hurt people. When he voted against minimum wage going up, that hurts workers. When he says that workers can't retire with dignity and have to wait till they're older, that hurts people that have been working their whole lives. And so our focus is really on targeting how decisions made or policies being presented by either Justin Trudeau or uh, Pierre Polyev hurt people and how we want to actually put forward things that make people's lives better. Okay. Jagmeet Singh, thank you so much for being with us. My pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. We are taking another break, and when we come back, we'll talk some more about that food inflation, and I would like to hear from you. How are you coping with it? Have you changed what you're buying? Have you changed how you're using it? Are you wasting less food? Uh, all of that, uh, it's all interesting when we come back. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Are you cutting back on groceries or changing what you buy because of inflation? A new survey finds a quarter of us are doing just that. And now that food inflation stands at around 10%, a lot of us really have to do a bit of a rethink and this survey also found that some of the ways that people are coping are, are fairly surprising. So I want to hear from you about what you are doing, maybe eating less meat, uh, maybe unfortunately eating fewer vegetables, uh, maybe something good like making sure you waste less. The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll free one 866 740 And now let's bring in Janet Music, Research Program Coordinator at the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University. Hello, Janet. Hello. So did anything you found in this survey surprise you? Well, yes, it did in, the, in a way. Um, there were some things that were very concerning when it comes to what some people are doing to adapt to higher food prices. And of course, you know, anyone who's been at the grocery store in the last year or so would recognize that price, prices are through the roof. Um, and so we've all kind of taken our own way of adapting. And, and a lot of people are using loyalty uh, programs or, or checking flyers more often. But there is a portion of the population that is skipping meals or foregoing food because it's just too expensive to buy, and that is very concerning. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the top of your list, though, was using more loyalty program points. I was a little surprised by that. And first, first of all, you've got to spend money to accrue those loyalty points. Well, you know, it's that's true. But, you know, we all have to eat. So, you know, we're spending that money anyway. And so I think people are just trying to take advantage of any extras that they can they can get for their grocery bill in the first place. And so, you know, there's a lot of debate whether those loyalty points are worth, worth the time and effort. That's a different conversation for a different day, I think, but certainly people uh, perceive it to be helpful, and so they're using it. And uh, reading the weekly flyers much more often, well, it makes sense to do that, you know, whether you're cash-strapped or not. That's true, and, you know, that's a generational you know, passed down from generations. And I can remember my grandmother sitting at the kitchen table and going through the flyers. That just really makes sense in terms of home economics. 
And, you know, with prices the way they are, you know, we have to go through flyers from different retailers and, and compare prices and try and get the best prices that we can wherever we can. Yep. Um, I would like to give the numbers out again because people, again, I would like to hear from you on what you are doing to cope with this, uh, really big food inflation. And it's been 10%, around 10% since May, but it kind of really depends on the product. There are some products that it's like, whoa, when did this, you know, go up 50% and why? And others that, you know, are kind of seem to be holding steady. I'm, I'm just trying to think. I'm, I'm sure there are some products that, that I've picked up and it's just, it kind of boggles the mind is why did they get so expensive so quickly? The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll free 1-866-744-740. And, and Janet Music, why is that? Is that a question of transportation? Is that supply chain? If something is scarce, well, let's put up the price. What, what's going on with some of these items? Well, I think, you know, it's important to point out that food price inflation is actually up in the Western world, you know, across the globe. And so Canada at 10%, that's really high. That's actually not the highest on the planet. There are other countries that are experiencing a faster rate uh, and higher rates of food price inflation. Now, that doesn't give us much comfort when we're at the grocery store, of course, but it's it's a global phenomenon. And, and it's, it's, you know, you mentioned the supply chain. The supply chain is complicated. You know, we think about farmers grow a carrot, carrot gets on the truck, truck deposits the carrot on a shelf at the store. But in fact, there are many stops along the line that include many, many different types of jobs and even industries. And if those industries are disrupted in any way, uh, that means that the supply chain is disrupted and it, it, it does impact prices. Okay, let's take a couple of calls. We've got Kathy in Mississauga. Hi, Kathy. Hi, and how are you? Fine. Go ahead. You're on the air. Thank you very much. Regarding the price of food, I'm, I'm an avid. I literally go through every flower, flyer every week. Um, and, I mean, now there isn't so many. So for anybody that's less fortunate that don't have iPad or something, then you're really lost. But I find, according to the lady prior to me, I I look at it differently. I... I do as much as I can with the flyers, but by saving these loyalty points, if you don't want to use them, then why not get the best you can for those points and give to the food bank? Because there is money to be had if you check your flyers, you price match, you still get the better price. Um, I'm just talking about the PC points at this point. And I find it is worth it. And yes, a lot of things has more than doubled. Um, I just realized on the weekend I needed crackers and I use Premium Plus. I used to get them for $5.29. They're now anywhere from $6.49 wow. up to $8.99. And $8.99 is at uh, Loblaw stores. Well, uh, I. I... <laughs> I shouldn't get into which stores are which, but I find the prices at Loblaws are really um, up. And those loyalty points, which used to be Shoppers Drug Mart, well, I find they are less good than they used to be. Uh, oh, definitely. I, I don't. I'm going to get in trouble, so I'm going to. I'm going to just keep it right there. Let's go to Sean in Burlington. Hello, Sean. Hi, Libby. Second time. Um, I go for flyers because what's on sale isn't really on sale. That's just an acceptable price. So you have to find things that are on sale. And I've cut out basically fruit. That's too bad. That's not good. No, I know. But if you look, Chris Hedges wrote a book in the United States about dead zones where they don't have a grocery store within an 11-kilometer radius, and all they have is 7-Elevens and KFCs. When times get tough, people get bad calories from bad foods. Like yep. chicken, like fried chicken and, and like 7-Eleven Slurpees. It's not a good situation, so I think you have to really scour and get things on sale and wait because they kind of they alternate between different stores. 
Uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm, uh, thanks for your call, Sean. And I'm going to ask Janet about frozen fruit. That might be a good and less expensive alternative. Am I onto something here, Janet? Yes, you absolutely read my mind. And, and I, I don't love hearing that someone is foregoing fruit because of the price, you know, and I, I completely understand because you, you look at some of the, even the local fruits and, and it's shocking how much it is. But, you know, you can get, berries and, and flash frozen fruit and vegetables last in your freezer for a good time. And they're just as nutritious and quite a bit cheaper. And so, you know, maybe the consistency isn't the same. So a fresh blueberry and a frozen blueberry are, are, are quite different in consistency. But, you know, you could throw those in, in cereal or yogurt or, or a smoothie and still get the nutritional value. And, you know, Sean was right in, in food deserts where people aren't lucky enough or, or fortunate enough to be close to grocery stores. They do end up, um, you know, frequenting these kind of places that do are, are high in saturated fats, high in salt and are really detrimental to health. And, and so frozen is one of those kind of uh, workarounds that people can do if they have room in their freezer to kind of get those good nutritional calories uh, as opposed to some of those uh, bad ones he was referring to. Well, yeah, and apparently uh, the sales of big freezers are up because uh, people are, are moving to that more and they're going to stock up on things that are on sale and then freezing them. And, of course, there are some fruits that are cheaper than others, like uh, bananas uh, and other things that are healthy for you. Uh, and you have to shop around and you want to make sure that there uh, is stuff in season. And um, it also depends on where, where you shop I mean, in close, not exactly my neighborhood. Well, there's one small grocer. They only take cash, but they are quite as certainly a lot cheaper than, than some of the grocery stores and the quality is fine. So uh, you've got to find places like that where you can, you know, essentially get a deal. But I, I have people uh, lined up here who want to talk. So um, let's go to Deborah in Etobicoke. Hi, Deborah. Hi, Libby. I'm oh. a first-time caller. Oh, wait a minute. Got to give you the bell. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you. Um, Libby, I was out shopping last night and I needed green onions for a recipe and they were a dollar sixty seven. And I decided to pass because I know that the store I'd gone to the day before were selling them for seventy nine cents. And did you find them for seventy nine cents? I didn't go back to the other store, but I will today. Um, uh, and the other thing I find that I've got an adult son now living with me. And uh, we go through bread. You know, he has his bread. I have my bread. And the bread is like $12 a week just for bread. And I, so I decided that I was going to bake bread. So I've been doing that now. That, that is excellent. I know there was one point in the pandemic where I pulled out the 90s era bread maker. <laughs> I think I used it once. But bread is, I mean, I'll, I will say I love good bread. It is so expensive. Um, and, uh, you know, we're only two of us. And, and I don't think 12 bucks would get us through on bread for a week. But uh, yeah, bread is really expensive. And I'm sure that the bread you bake is even better than the best, most expensive bread somebody might buy. So it good for you. Is. And you, you have control over what you're putting in it too. Absolutely. Thank you for that, Deborah. Okay, Libby. Okay. Okay. Let us go to Brian in Brampton. Hi, Brian. Yes, I'd like to point out that part of our inflation problem is caused by these rewards programs that different companies run. They have to raise their prices to cover those PC points or whatever they're called, the air miles. If you can fly somewhere on air miles or exchange it for some other good or product, that's the same as money. And that's causing inflation. Well, uh, let me get Janet's take on that. Janet? Well, I mean, it's certainly complicated, you know. And, yeah. and, and to be fair, those programs do cost money to um, provide. And, and I think it raises a really interesting point that, 
there are only five major retailers in this country, and they're all kind of, they control the market, and they are all kind of vying for, you know, to capture your attention. Now, you mentioned a small independent grocery store that only takes cash. Now, they're not offering these big loyalty nope. points, right? No. And so that's maybe why their prices are lower, because they're not paying, you know, the credit card companies for their service. They're not paying for loyalty points programs, and you're saving a bit of money. And so can we say that A causes B? I don't know that we can make a, an an equivalency there, but we can certainly say there's a relationship like I give you like one small example from the summer. So at this independent little grocery, which I'm sure gets stuff from the food terminal. So basil, a nice, great big uh, bunch of branches of fresh basil packaged properly. So it's not going to go bad immediately. Something like a buck 25. If I go to the supermarket, I have some fairly nasty tiny bit of basil packaged in plastic for say two ninety nine. What would I rather buy? <laughs> it's like I don't always get to the the thing about the supermarket is you can get everything you need there. But um or you can order it and have it delivered. But but really, you know, there's a there's a big difference. And the quality from the cheaper place is better. Anyway that's my rant. Um, I'm looking at the clock. I'm going to take one more call and, and people, we will revisit this. Joseph in Toronto, quickly, uh, go ahead. You're on the air. A couple of things, uh, you could do a lot. I mean, watch all those specialty. You were talking about bread earlier. There's a place in Thornhill. For heaven's sake, they're selling a loaf of bread for $12. That's ridiculous. But, um, you know, shop at the uh, less-known stores. Uh, there's lots of great sales out there. Change your diet, eat less meat, and stop eating so frequently at restaurants. Okay, Joseph, thanks for that. Yeah, um, and even people got used to doing a lot of takeout. That is extremely expensive. Uh, Janet, we have about a minute left. Uh, what's the bottom line on this new survey and what you're telling people? Well, Libby, I'd just like to say, you know, I think all of your callers had really fair comments to make. Um, and, uh, you know, the first caller, and uh, forgive me, I, I didn't catch her name, but the food bank issue is, is a serious one. And as, as prices rise for food, donations to food banks go down. And because there is a subsection of our society that's skipping meals, you know, it's really important that we continue to donate to help our community members because they are hurting on all sides. Uh, yeah, and I'm sure that we will be talking to the food bank soon. Uh, the Thanksgiving food drive is coming up. Uh, and yes, food bank use is up in the light of these high prices. Janet Music from the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie, at Dalhousie University. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. Bye. And that is all the time we have for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.